Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. Well, we want to um, jump right into the Word today and want to welcome you if you're joining us on live stream. Uh, we love the Word of God. How many know the Word of God has the power to transform us? Amen. And so I always love to get into the Scripture and even when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. Amen. We're, the Word of God is always working on our behalf. So, Father, I thank you today, Lord, that as we study your Word, God, that you will speak to us, you give us new insight, and change us by your Word in Jesus', in Jesus name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, last week I was talking about, when I ended off my message, uh, I was talking a little bit about um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when we t- it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It starts off, Paul says, um, that um, to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can get off uh, and pursue and run after gifts, right? And, and when we do that, we, then we, we're left to desire love. How many know we have, we, have to pursue, we have to pursue God? We have to pursue the love of God, first of all, but then we have to desire spiritual gifts, and so we have two camps in Christendom. We've got one camp that is just totally running after the gifts, running after the miracles. And then we have the other camp that it's, you know, there's, there's no desire for spiritual gifts. How, how many hear what I'm saying? So we have to find the middle of the road. We have to see um, that God wants us to desire spiritual gifts. And so we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. And the title of my message today is, Are You Childlike or Childish? Are you childlike or childish? So Paul starts here in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters. Okay, so Paul is saying, the first time I came to you as a church, as a people. He says, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. He said, I didn't come to you, I didn't come to you to, to use impressive wisdom and lofty words, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ who was crucified. And so he's saying here, I didn't come to persuade you, I came to show you the cross, to explain to you that Jesus died on the cross, that his blood washes your sins. I want to talk about the cross, okay? Look what he says here, okay? I came to you in weakness... He didn't come all puffed up and arrogant. He came in weakness, timidity, and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Say very plain. See, Paul, Paul was not worried about trying to persuade people with words. He came with a very plain presentation. Look what he says in the next verse here. He says, Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And I want to say this as we get into this message, that first and foremost, that God's word is final authority. Amen? God's word is also a measuring rod so we can measure the decisions and things we're doing in life, the things we experience in the spirit. We have to measure everything according to the word. But here, on the other hand, preachers are so focused today on clever and persuasive speeches. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a better speaker. There's nothing wrong with uh, trying to put words together so that you, and voice inflection and presentation so that you can draw people's attention. How many know there's nothing wrong with that? But here's the thing. You know, I did a course a few years ago uh, called Preaching Rocket. And it's a great course teaching people who want to preach how to preach and how to present and voice inflection and how many points you should put to each story, all the practical stuff about public speaking. Um, and there's churches, some of these mega churches we see on TV, they have big staff, and they all spend 30 hours a week trying to nail down their message, 30-minute message, so, it, so that it just draws everybody in. And some of these churches, some of these ministries, and there's nothing wrong with this, uh, but they have big staff, so they'll have four or five people on staff that are part of what they call a preaching team. So you have one guy who goes out and he looks for quotes, famous quotes. One guy is looking for video clips. One guy is looking for, you know, one-liners. And they all come together with the preacher at the end of the week and say they kind of help him put his message together so that he can knock it out of the park when he's on TV or when he's at the church, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that if you want to do that. But Paul is saying something here different. He said, I didn't come with persuasive words. I didn't come with a fancy speech. Rather, I, d I wasn't worried about using clever and persuasive speeches. I, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, all right? And so Paul chooses to speak plainly, and this is why. So you would learn to trust in the power of God. And how many know that we need the power of God in our life? The power of God transforms us and changes us from the inside out. And, and, it, it, and it's so many times, even in our own life, and I, I talk to Christians and this, I, I don't share my faith because I'm afraid I can't persuade. I don't know enough verses. I don't know enough scriptures to persuade my friends to, to turn to Jesus. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? I've been there. You've been there. And, and, and we make it all about persuasion. But some of the best evangelists are people that just get on fire for God because they have an encounter with Jesus. They don't know anything, hardly, if anything, in this book, but they start bringing people to church. Why? Because they go out and they have this testimony that they've encountered God, that something changed in their life, that shame is gone, that fear is gone, that guilt is gone, and they're like, something's changed. And you got to come to church, or you got to say this prayer, or you got to read this Bible. And what happens is people are like, yeah, I want that. And I've seen that time and time again. Someone gets touched by God, and within the next three months, they bring all their friends to church. How many know what I'm saying? Because Jesus said, the Bible says in Revelations, we overcome Satan. How? By the blood of the Lamb, which is the washing of our sins, and then the word of our testimony. And so... Paul is concerned about the Corinthians because they're getting too caught up in persuasion and the, the whole concept of, I've got to persuade. I need to understand everything about God before I can talk about God. But how many know that none of us will ever know everything about God? We're always learning, all right? And so Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you can by no means enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? Is he saying that you got to be childish? No. He's saying you have to be childlike. In other words, childlike means you have a faith, a faith that is, um, uh, it's, a, it's a blind faith. It's a trust. Uh, you don't have to have all the answers before you trust. For example, in my life, 
as a child, there was times when my father would say, I'm going to get you this. And sometimes for Christmas even, we knew things were coming. Like I knew I'd wake up on Christmas morning and there was gifts under the tree. I knew that I would get the things I asked for. How many hear what I'm saying? I didn't have to know, you know, uh, what, what my dad's bank account looked like. I didn't have to, you know, figure out, like, that maybe he worked extra hours or sold extra contracts to get me the things that I need. I didn't have to know all the details. I just trusted that he's good and that somehow he's going to meet my needs because he said he would. And Jesus talks about that. He says, ye of little faith, how do you not see that God clothes the lilies of the valley? He, he, you know, he takes care of the sparrow. He takes care of nature. How much more will he take care of you? And so sometimes we have to have childlike faith. Saying, I don't know how God's going to get me through the problem. I don't know how this is going to change. I'll try to figure it out from here. But even if I can't figure it out, I trust that he is going to come through. Amen? And that's childlike faith. And there's two camps. The persuasion camp um, puts too much focus on persuasion instead of power. And we need to find the middle of the road. And here's, here's this group of believers uh, need to prove theologically, um, evidentially, hermetically, the theory of God, the theory of everything. It's all about, you know, doctrine, 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 doctrine. If you, oh, if you get this little thing wrong, oh, my goodness. And the Internet's full of these, these police people that are trying to police the doctrine but have no power. And that's one ditch you don't want to go into. All right? Everything needs to be proven by text, and people need to be intellectually converted. You have to convert people intellectually. It's more than an intellectual conversion. It's a heart conversion that God is after. Everything needs to be objective. Nothing, nothing can be subjective. Be careful of the gifts. Be careful of prophecy. Be careful of words of knowledge. Be careful of all the things we're supposed to be desiring after because they're stuck in this camp. Okay? Experiential faith is very dangerous and childish, they say. And, and I want to say this. Childlike faith is to be innocently trusting in God, like a child even if you don't understand. But childish is one who lacks training, one who's immature. And when you're immature, you don't understand. See, I didn't understand aerodynamics. I did not understand that when I was a child. And I watched Condor Man, and some of you heard this story. The guy had a pair of wings, and he was a really cheesy superhero. And he jumped off, and he flapped his wings, and he would glide across you know, the sky. And I thought, that's really cool. And my cousin and I had an agreement. He said, I'll build the wings. You jump off the roof. I thought it sounded pretty good. He was a year older. That makes lots of sense. He, he, he's an engineer. He built a wagon with a motor on it. Sure, he can do it. So I'll be the one to jump off the roof. I get to do the fun things. So he built me a set of wings out of two-by-fours <laughs> and garbage bags. And I, they weighed so much, I was on the roof, I could hardly lift my arms. I was like, you know, I said, this is going to work, guys. And I jumped off the roof. Now, how many know that was not smart? I was childlike, or childish, sorry. That is faith, yeah. Faith in a fool, right? But, and, and, and I, you know, praise God I didn't get super injured. And it was, you know, but the thing is, uh, I jumped off a roof thinking I could fly because I, I, I was not, uh, I was lacking training. I was immature. I didn't understand aerodynamics. I did not understand that whole thing. 
And Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, yet when I am among mature believers, okay, he's, and mature means having complete natural growth and development, he says, I do speak with words of wisdom, but it's not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scripture means when it says, and how many have heard this verse? No eye has seen, nor ear have ever heard. And no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. And we're like, wow, God is so mystical. We'll never be able to figure God out because he's just so mystical. And they stop there because it's just kind of like people are just like, wow, right? And, and uh, the next verse, nobody reads the next verse. Why do we not read the next verse? Why do we always take things out of context? The next verse, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. God revealed these things. What things? The things that he's prepared for us. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Present tense. God is showing us by his Holy Spirit his deep secrets. He's showing us the things that he has for us. No one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit. All right? So if I ask you right now, everyone here, think about what you're thinking about. Now, some of you might be thinking he's long-winded. Other people are thinking about the roast in the oven. Yeah? Everybody's thinking about something. All right? I know once I was preaching and my wife was thinking about the fact that I was flying low and she didn't know how to tell me. And that was very, imp- and she's like, you're flying low. And she's pointing and I'm like, I go behind the pulpit, I'm like, I'm saved. And then I realize it's a glass pulpit. So it's not, so we're always thinking, thinking about what you're thinking about is when your spirit, and the world calls it a subconscious mind, but we understand it's the mind of your spirit being thinking about what you're thinking about. And this is what he's saying here. He says, no one knows a person's thoughts except the person whose own spirit and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know, we can know, let's say it together, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. God wants you to know the wonderful things that he's given you. The promises of God. The blessings of God. He, he wants to show you what he has for you. So you can know the things that God has freely given you. God's word, infused by the Holy Spirit's power, brings revelation and transformation. I'm going to say it again. God's word, infused by the Holy Spirit, will bring revelation and will bring transformation in your life. You will change on the inside. Okay, God's word, infused, that is focused on persuasion only, will not produce revelation. It will bring deprivation in your life. Now, what is deprivation? Deprivation is, uh, and this is the, the, the definition, the state of being kept from possessing. If, if people are reading the word without the spirit 
the Holy Spirit's power as a focus, they will begin to keep people from possessing what God has for them, the promises of God. The gospel just becomes about the saving of your soul and, and, and the washing of your sins and praise God for that. But it stops there. You can't walk in victory. You don't have authority over sickness. You don't have the power to fix problems in your life. You don't, have, uh, you don't know how to pray and do spiritual warfare. Why? Because you're being given a gospel of deprivation that is all about just information and not transformation. Another thing that deprivation is, it's, it's the state of, of being enjoying yourself. A gospel that does, isn't focused on the spirit, people go into bondage and they can't enjoy life. They can't enjoy, you know, some religious groups, you can't have a birthday because that's self-idolatry. You can't celebrate certain holidays because God doesn't want you to. You can't do this, you can't do that, and, 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 and you're deprived from the freedom that God wants you to have. Another, another meaning of deprivation is um, the state of using something, the state of uh, removing someone from office. Listen, I don't know about you, but not only did God forgive my sins through Jesus, the Bible says in Ephesians that he raised me up together with Christ and made me to sit down in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, far above all principality and power and every name that is named. He has made me a joint heir with Christ. That means that when Jesus rules in the millennial, when Jesus rules in the, in, in the future, I'm going to rule and reign. You're going to rule and reign. We're, he's our big brother. He's our God. But we're going to be joint heirs with him. And there's a gospel out there that says it's just about the saving of your, your soul. It's just about getting your sins forgiven. It's just about the blood. And nobody talks about their ability to reign with him. This is just Bible. I don't want a gospel of deprivation. I want a gospel of transformation. The Bible's information here is meant to lead us into an encounter with God. That's what it is. This is a roadmap to an encounter with God into a relationship with God. It's not just basic instructions before leaving earth. Right? So, so many Christians just, well, I just got to obey. My whole goal, this book is to just tell me it, it's all behavior modification. I got to live this way, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. And yes, that is true. But there's also a next step. It's that God wants us to have an encounter with him and to be transformed from the inside out. Right? And there's another camp, and that's the other ditch on the other side. And that's the demonstration ditch. Say the demonstration ditch. And this camp is the camp that wants experience without using truth as a measuring rod. And so that's a whole nother sermon I'm not going to get into today. But the center of the road is called experiential faith. God wants us to, through his word, have an experience with him and have a transformation with him. So I want to show you just a quick interview I did with Dr. Stotts out of Kingston. Uh, he's a friend of mine, and I asked to give a testimony. So we're going to watch that. Hello, everyone. Today, I have uh, uh, James Stotts, a friend of mine from Kingston Online. Um, I'm going to have him share with you for a moment here about um, what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, 
Paul said, I didn't come with persuasive words and the wisdom of men, but I came in demonstration and the Spirit's power. And so I just wanted James to take a moment to introduce himself, uh, share what he does for a living, and um, his testimony, how he came to Christ. So James, go ahead. Yeah. Hello. My name is James Thoughts. I'm a uh, professor of physics at Queen's University. Um, so back uh, uh, back when I was a student, uh, I, uh, I was going to church uh, with my girlfriend, or then girlfriend, now uh, wife, and uh, just kind of learning a, a lot about uh, about the church, about Jesus, and about the message. Uh, and uh, I had taken in a lot of information, but still uh, didn't really know Jesus uh, at all, and, and didn't really know him as my savior, kind of knew him as, as somebody in the stories, and uh, had been going to some really great uh, churches and, and great messages, uh, but something just still wasn't, uh, wasn't there for me. Uh, and so uh, in an effort to try to take that next step, uh, we joined uh, what was uh, an alpha group uh, at that time. Many of you uh, may know that program, kind of uh, learning, uh, helping people kind of come to know the Lord and, and, and teaching. And again, we got some more teaching uh, and everything, but I still didn't have that step. Uh, but the, the message was always the same. You know, you have to kind of, you yourself have to give your life uh, to Jesus. And so I had, uh, at the end of, of one of our, our teaching sessions, I, I came with our leaders and I said, okay, I, I've made this decision. I'm going to take this step. And, uh, and, and, we, and we prayed and I, I, I gave myself, uh, gave my life to the Lord. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, it, was, it was quite amazing. She, she said to me, oh, the, uh, I don't know but if you feel it, but uh, there's a Holy Spirit presence that is, is just uh, really intense right now. I, I hope you feel it. it's all around us. And, and uh, you know, this moment was so important. Uh, it's all around. And she's like, do you feel it? And I answered very truthfully that I didn't feel a single thing. Uh, as far as I knew, I, I was the same person. I, I walked out, the, you know, I, as I came in, right? I, I walked out the same as I came in. And she's like, oh, trust me, it, it was a, a, an important uh, change in your life. And so I, I, I came back home, not really knowing that anything was different uh, in my life. And uh, I was a student and uh, I'd often take the, the bus up to school. And so uh, I was taking the bus up one day and it was a kind of a long bus ride. There was no stops. It was a bus actually up a mountain to where the university was. And often I found myself in, in kind of losing myself in my thoughts. And my thoughts would eventually go, what would, what would my last breath, what would my last time, my last second on this earth be? And I would typically, in that, in that moment, be drawn into a period of dread or a feeling of dread, thinking, I don't know what that last moment will be. It'll be the end, and it'll be black, and it'll be bleak. Um, but however, the, the week after I had, uh, uh, I, I took this, this step in faith, I, I had gone, my thought process had gone down and brought me down this road again. And when I got to that point of what that last second will be, that feeling of dread was no longer there. It was it was amazing. I, I had come. I didn't know why. There was there was no logical reason why it was there, but for for this experience in my in my heart in my soul, I now knew that you know the end wasn't dreadful. It wasn't bleak. It was something changed, and and there was no reason to to fear, uh, uh, to fear that uh, that moment in my life. And so uh, as I kind of went to to kind of. Uh, on my journey to, to learn more, I always had this one aspect that, that I just knew in my soul that 
I had no idea why it changed other than I had given my, uh, give myself to the Lord that I had this one point in my life that said, you know what, you don't have to fear that anymore. Things are different. Things are changed now. And from there, I was able actually now to, to really start my walk with Christ. That's awesome. So, so you're, you're an intellectual, you're, you're, uh, you're a professor. So, so, uh, so one time I asked you to give your testimony and I had asked, I said, was, was it through research and Christian science? Like what, what was it that draw you to believe? And you said it was because you, the fear of death suddenly disappeared. So would you say that it was uh, more of a demonstration of God in your life or more of a persuasion of God in oh. your life? Oh, it's, it's definitely this demonstration. You know, like I, I, I really love to read. I really love to learn more uh, about it. But uh, all of my experiences that have really kind of propelled me from kind of one stage of my walk to the other have always been um, God um, taking a, a, an extra, an, an extra tangible evidence in, in my life. You know, I, I can always go through. And say, you know what? I want to learn more about that and learn more about this, and that's great because you have this understanding. But when I, I really think about the times of my life, uh, this moment of being saved, uh, taking a step towards being filled by the Holy Spirit, that that really kind of propelled uh, my own spirit, my soul. It was a very tangible experience and demonstration of, of the Holy Spirit and uh, working in my life. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your time. Awesome. Uh, Dr. James, it's awesome to have you and share that with us. Awesome. Nice background as well, too. Uh, thank you very much. Berlin is always a, a, a part of our heart now. Awesome. Well, God bless you. Awesome. So here you got someone who's an intellectual who was converted not through getting a lot of information and through persuasion, but through an experience in his heart. And, and I don't know about you, but that's my story. And I believe that each and every one of us should have a testimony of how God changed our lives. And for me, it was anxiety and depression. And when I came and I said, well, Jesus, if you're real, I'm inviting you into my life. And I'm asking you to forgive me for my sins and heal me. And I felt like electricity hit me. And sometimes you don't feel anything. But when that presence lifted, all the depression left. And I was like, this is real. This is real. And so all I'm saying is that this word, this, this, this scripture, it leads us to Jesus. And, and, and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were all about, they understood. They, they, the first five books of the Bible, they had memorized. They knew, the, they knew the scripture. And Jesus said to them, he said to these religious leaders, he said, listen, you search the scripture for, for in them you think you have life. But he said, the scripture is written about me. It's a roadmap to bring you to me. And we have to remember that in all our getting and to remember that, yes, we're to study to show ourselves approved. In a few weeks, I'm going to do a teaching on, uh, like, the four spiritual laws, how to properly bring the Scripture across so you can convert people so they can understand the truth. That is important. But more importantly than that is we have to realize that it's your testimony of the power of God that will, will, will speak to other people more than anything else. Amen? And so... We have to keep that in mind. And so, here's the thing. Acts chapter 11, I want to finish with this, this last chapter here. And um, what's happening in context here is uh, the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles. So, all of the church leaders at that time thought that the gospel and the cross and Jesus was just for the Jews. 
But suddenly Peter's out ministering, and he ministers to the Gentiles, and they receive Christ, and God moves on their life. And so now the church leaders are concerned. They're like, hey, what's going on? Why are you ministering to Gentiles? And so Peter says, let me tell you the story of what happened. So he's talking to the other church leaders in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of the Lord. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. They weren't happy, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Okay, so I want you to step back in time with me. Okay, he, had a, he went into a trance and he had a vision. And in the vision, he explains it, an object descended like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things, birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter was a Jew, and Jews did not eat certain things. They just were not allowed to eat certain things. And, and Peter says to the Lord, I can't do this. This is unclean. But look what God says, okay? A voice came and said, what God has cleaned, you must not call unclean. In other words, he's saying, now, you cannot no longer. See, God has called the Gentiles. He's called people from every nation. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you're clean to God. It's no longer uncommon. The gospel isn't just for the Jews. The gospel is for everybody. And so, so Peter gets this revelation through a vision, say a vision. Now it was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood by the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Okay? And so the Holy Spirit spoke to him in an inner voice, say inner voice. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in the house who said to him, Send men to Joppa. So now the other guy is seeing angels. And look what happens here at the end. And then I remembered, this is verse 16, that the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And um, verse 15, go to verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as he fell upon us in the beginning. In the book of Acts, 120 people together, praying together, and the Holy Spirit fell. And everybody said, what is this? And they said, this is what was prophesied by this prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit. And God's Holy Spirit came and was poured out, and they spoke in tongues, and they were touched by God. The Gentiles were just like the Jews. Okay? And then verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift that he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I would withstand God? In verse 18, then they that heard these things became silent. They glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, what's important about this passage is this. God isn't limited to just speak to you through the Bible. This, this is a measuring rod to when he speaks. 
but sometimes people think that the only way God can speak is through his word. And he doesn't. He speaks through revelations, through dreams, through vision, through prophecy, through angelic visitation. And the church founders, Peter did not say, well, I found a scripture in Isaiah that says the Gentiles are going to come into the flock. And there are scriptures. They made a decision to open the doors for the Gentiles based on experience. And I say that because God is calling us to a place where you have to hear God for yourself. You have God, God has to talk to you. God has to be giving you a word in season for your situation. Amen? And I had a situation when I was younger and one of my children was getting hurt at school. Somebody was hurting this person. And God showed me in a dream what was going on. So I was able to talk to my child. And um, there was something going on, and we dealt with the situation. But there, there was no scripture in here that said that, you know, one of your kids is going to be bullied at school, and you need to go and deal with it. No, God was speaking to my spirit because this word brought me into a relationship with God so God can speak to me. Amen? How many know we need the power of God? It can't just be about persuasion. It has to be about power. God is good. I want to encourage you, and I just felt to encourage you with this because many times we feel we don't have enough information to persuade people around us. Jesus said there's an hour when you're going to be brought before kings and leaders, and don't premeditate what you're going to say, for I will give you the word in that hour. And I don't know about you, there's been times I've gone out and I start talking to someone and it's like I start talking and I'm like, I sound like D.L. Moody, you know, like I got all the right words and I've got all the great scriptures. I sound like a theologian, right? Like just, whoosh. have you ever had that happen? It's just like, it just starts bubbling out of you. are like, what is this? It's the Holy Spirit giving you the words in the moment, in the season for that situation. And I want to encourage you today because as we're in a season of harvest, this isn't just a season for sowing seeds. This is a season to just ask the big question. Do you want to get saved? Do you want to know Jesus? Because the hour is coming. Amen? The Lord's coming back soon, and people are ready. People are ready. So I want to encourage you. Share your testimony. Share your story. Give God glory. And if they say, give me scriptural evidence. Say, you know what? I'll, let me look at that, and I'll come back with an answer. People are okay with that. But we feel like we don't qualify. We don't have enough information, and it's just a farce. We have to just go out there with our testimony and let God um, touch people through that. Amen? So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray with you guys. Father, I just pray for everyone here in this building and everyone who's watching on the live stream. I pray for myself. God, that we would, like Paul, we would not focus on just our ability to persuade people with fancy words and knowing everything and having everything figured out, but that we put our faith in the power of God that changes us from the inside out. So Holy Spirit, God, send your spirit to fill us that with all boldness we may proclaim the word of God and that through signs, wonders, and miracles we will bring the kingdom into our communities, into our families, into our cities, God, because you have anointed us not for our sake, but for your kingdom to advance, that the world would look and say, certainly God is among them. 
So I thank you for an outpouring of your spirit on every home. Every home, God, outpouring on the kids of every household in this building, every household watching us online. May God's power and spirit be poured out. Even in the book, in the Galatians, he came and he said, Peter said, it was by the hearing of faith that the Holy Spirit came. And I thank you for the power of God on every family to heal every situation in Jesus' name. If you're watching this online or if you're in this building and you say, I don't know if I was to die, I would go to be dead. With, with God. The, 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 the truth is we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We cannot go into the presence of a holy God. If I take my hand and I cup it in here and I kind of peek into the top of my hand, all I see is darkness. But the moment I open my hand, that darkness is consumed by the light. We cannot go into the presence of a holy God. The sin in us will be consumed by it. But you know what? The good news is that Jesus died and he washes us white as snow. And that light comes alive on the inside. So when God opens us up, all he sees is his son. And I want to tell you this right now. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. And I want to lead you in this prayer. So if you're watching online, if you're in this building right now, if you're backslidden, I want you to pray this prayer and mean it from your heart. God wants you to have an encounter with him. He doesn't want you just to have information. I know Bible scholars that are not very nice people to be around. And then I know people who don't know hardly anything, but they're saved and they're nice people to be around. We need the Holy Spirit. So pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for washing my sin away. Holy Spirit, come and live in my heart. God, fill me with your spirit. Cleanse me from the inside out. And give me a testimony so that I can brag about your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.